Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome to Simple English Listening, where I speak in simpler English about a wide variety of high-interest topics. Just basically, I don't talk forever about grammar, verbs, the rules, because there are hundreds of other podcasts out there that do that. Here. We learn by using the comprehensible input method, using all kinds of topics: lifestyle,、uh, health, inspirational people from the past, science, geography, everything. So you learn about the wider world, but also learn English at the same time. So the comprehensible input method. This method says that the best way to learn a second language is to listen to and read. Listen to and read as much English as possible. That's just one level above your level. Just one little level above your level. Listening and reading. This is why I speak in pre-intermediate level or intermediate. I use simple words, simple words, so you can easily follow. What's important is that you generally understand my meaning, the message of my words, and your mind will pick up language naturally, as well as review and better understand how you use all the wonderful words that you already know, as well as grammar. To use a word correctly, you need to have heard it and read it hundreds of times before to truly know what it means. Today, I'll talk about living in Cambodia for six months and about some of the people I met over there. Also, I'll update you with my life and tell you how I'm going to take a break from this podcast for a little while. And why? So, Cambodia is known as like the more wild, wild and free country of Southeast Asia. Some people compare it like to the Wild West. There's an element of lawlessness there. I mean, there is re respect and there are laws, but not really from the government. More from like. The local communities and the villages and the chiefs of the village—they kind of run things over there, and of course the gangs. Cambodia is also poorer and cheaper than Thailand, Vietnam, Malaysia, and other countries in this area where I live. It means it's cheaper, therefore your money. Your money gets you further if you go there on holiday, or if you retire there. There are many retired Western people there,、uh, largely eccentrics, hippies. You know, like people who are a bit different, a little bit crazy sometimes, but in kind of interesting, positive ways. Mostly that I met. You know, some of them grow their own vegetables and. Own lots of dogs and seem to microdose, microdose on local magic mushrooms like all day. Some of them, 
just have like a little bit every day. They just ride their bicycles around town and say hello to each other. It's quite a relaxing life, actually, for like the old retired hippies. But also because it's, uh, you know, poor, lesser developed, as well as the benefits. There are, there's also, of course, negative aspects to that, it's like more corruption, more, I mean, you know, famously there's human trafficking, right? Um, yeah, of course, it has its share of problems as well. More lawlessness, a great word lawlessness. Don't get me wrong. I noticed that the the long-term expats there have a, a deep love for Cambodia, like genuinely, more so than in other places, arguably, that I've met. Um, I met one Australian man who decided that the Cambodians, or the Khmer, as they're called, were like his tribe, his chosen tribe, his people, and he dedicates his life to, like, he raises money abroad through, like, an NGO and helps them find education, helps rescue them from human trafficking, from, like, forced prostitution. Often these people are girls from the countryside, and they come into the towns in the cities, like Phnom Penh, and promise jobs, you know, at bars in the city. But then those jobs in the city turn out to be different jobs, you know, prostitution, basically, which is selling sex for money, and they have no choice because, I mean, it's criminal syndicates, you know, gangs that force them into it. But yeah, there's some of the expats have like, uh, they've lived there for many years, and they really care about the community. There are many NGOs there that I came across, mostly funded by foreigners, founded, so started by foreigners, who tried to help these people, uh, the Australian man included. Uh, there's another place called Epic Arts Cafe, which kind of employed disabled people, people with uh, mental problems or one leg, or because in Cambodia there's not much opportunity for people like this. And that was a company founded by a French person. And they have like a big center where they teach like kids with like no families or disabilities, life skills and art. Um, yeah, that's in Kampart. That's a lovely little NGO. Uh, many of my friends there were involved in various charity work, either helping people or dogs. There are so many dogs there. I'll tell you more about that later, like like too many dogs. So I lived in Kampot province, which is near the border with Vietnam. There, life was just like so, like so chilled, man. Like so relaxed. I lived in a bamboo hut, a bamboo hut in a forest next to a river which was uh, $180 per month. It was like such a natural and beautiful life. Like when the rains came, like you really, really heard and felt the rain. And you could hear like every night, like a whole orchestra of like 10 to 15 different animal sounds all at once, all different kinds of frogs and crickets and cicadas and insects. Um, like, it's really like, it's like the sound of, 
God, basically. It's a rhythmical sound as well. You know, it's like the, a deeply natural, it's like the universal beat, you know. Yeah, it's really special. Uh, so Kampot is famous for its river. It's basically a chilled hippie town on the river. The river is the main feature of the town. So there are many, many guest houses set up, mostly by foreign dreamers all along it and expats. I spoke with a foreigner there and he says, for him, Cambodia is like an empty canvas for business. Yeah, like an empty page. And you have the paintbrushes. And it's cheap to try whatever you like. You can, you can try anything. There are many different like communities and different kinds of communes and guest houses with different lifestyles and menus and meditations and yogas. What kind of restaurant do you want to open? I mean, there's like every kind of everything there. People try it, you know, and it doesn't cost much money to try your own little business idea. One thing I did notice there is that I felt that the foreigners were more ingrained. Ingrained meaning they were more a part of society there. Like here in Vietnam and also Korea and Japan, like the other places I've lived and worked, basically nearly all the foreigners you see are basically teachers. Maybe a few business owners and engineers. However, in Cambodia, you see foreigners doing like every kind of job, like running food stalls, tour guides, teachers, as I said, like running NGOs, running shops, running bars, like everything. Every expat, expat is another word for a foreigner that lives in another country. So a foreigner that lives in another country, we also say expat. So many expats have dogs. Many people there have like in Kampot, where I lived, like multiple dogs, two, three, sometimes more. It's like um, when we have a party in Kampot, like a barbecue or something, there are about 15 people and 15 dogs at least. And everyone looks at and tells off, like scolds their dog, whilst watching them play together, just like adults watch their children play with other children in the playground and sometimes tell them off and scold them and then get them to play with other children. It's exactly the same, but with dogs in Kampot, my town in Cambodia, the dogs have replaced children and people watch on over their dogs. Just, yeah, just like people watch their kids in the playground. Maybe there's something deep in our human nature that needs the meaning and purpose that comes with caring for something, right? Yeah, if you live in the Kampot area of Cambodia, expect people to ask you if you want a dog about 10 times, tell you all the reasons you should have a dog, and then you feel a bit guilty that you can't take one of the hundreds of dogs that they have there. Uh, there's one girl there, a lady in her, like, 40s. She has over 50 dogs, over 50. She takes in dogs that people don't want, or when expats leave, uh, she'll take the dog if they can't take it with them. And she, apparently, this is what I heard through people, she has a YouTube channel showing the dogs, and she helps raise money through the YouTube channel. 
to buy food for all these dogs because obviously that costs like probably hundreds, thousands of dollars every month. So yeah, she raises money from abroad to help feed them. Why did I choose to live in Kampa? Well, actually, my university friend, a good friend of mine, was already living there. Already. So I'd living there, you know. So I decided to go there because I already would have a, a point of contact and a new social life instantly. I had socially become lazy. So it just seemed easier to go somewhere where a close friend already lives, right?、Uh, her job was a vet. So she was a, a vet, like a doctor for animals, a vet in Cambodia. I was bitten. I was bitten by a crazy dog when I first went there. I had to have rabies injections, you know, rabies. Rabies is the horrible disease that you can get if you get bitten. The disease where you like foam at the mouth, mostly bats carry it. You foam at the mouth, and you know they say turn into like a zombie-like state. But that's a few cases of rabies. Mostly, you just lie in your bed, you foam at the mouth, and you slowly die as your brain seems to melt. Oh, horrible! So I was bitten in Cambodia and had to have two rabies shots. The bite wasn't too bad; it was quite small, but. Yeah, that was an experience. It's like a crazy German Shepherd, like an Alsatian, quite a big and scary dog, you know. So there's all kinds of expats in Cambodia. Some of them, I mean, good and bad. Don't get me wrong. You know, you definitely get people that are escaping something in their home countries, or they're just too too weird to exist in their home countries in the West. So, but in Cambodia, they're free. You know, free to walk around and. Do whatever stuff they want. Some of them look like gangsters. I met some old war veterans, old military people.、Uh, they have some stories. They have some stories, definitely. To be honest, I met every kind of person under the sun, as in Cambodia somewhere. But one thing that unites them is that you have to have an adventurous spirit. For some people, as I said, there's like an element of escape from their old society. But you could also say there's an element of moving towards a new society, right? Who am I to judge? It reminds me of the spirit of like the golden age of pirates, of piracy. There you had people who tried to break away from the English crown of the English government and start their own pirate countries around different islands to start again with their own rules. Cambodia. Reminds me a bit of that. Everyone I met in Cambodia definitely had an adventurous side to them, had、uh, many stories, and many of them have travelled all over the world and had lived in many different countries. A couple of them had been to jail before. I was quite interested in hearing those stories. Cambodia, a bit about the history of Cambodia. So it used to be the dominant power. In Southeast Asia, the most powerful empire for about eight hundred years until about five hundred years. So for eight hundred years, it was a dominant power in Southeast Asia until about five hundred years ago. The Cambodian or Khmer Kingdom included all of Thailand, all of Laos, parts of modern-day Vietnam, like the south of Vietnam, where Ho Chi Minh City is now today. 
and parts of Myanmar. Many things you see in Thailand today, many parts of Thai culture, including traditional dress and the temples and lots of the artistic style of the architecture, is influenced by Cambodia originally. The Khmer Empire of Cambodia was ruled from Angkor Wat, which is where modern-day Siem Reap is, which is the second largest city in Cambodia today. Maybe you've heard of Angkor Wat. It's one of the wonders of the world today. It's a giant temple complex, like full of tourists, and it takes like four days to see all of it. So at the time, the uh, Khmer Empire was one of the most advanced civilizations in history compared to other civilizations. And the capital, like Angkor, was a home to a million people, uh, which, make, which made it the largest city in the world before the Industrial Revolution. And there's all kinds of mysteries with Angkor Wat, the temples. Uh, they found as many as 18 different elements of the temple that line up with the stars. So there was some kind of advanced understanding of the galaxy and stars in that long ago in that civilization. Anyway, so a final thing to say about Cambodia is the more recent history. Some of you might know of the uh, Khmer Rouge. Cambodia is still recovering from basically the worst thing that's ever happened to any country ever, relatively speaking. In the 1980s, there was a political party called the Khmer Rouge. The Khmer Rouge was a, an extreme, absolutely extreme form of communism. They emptied all of the cities and forced people to work in the countryside to make a new utopian perfect society um, not reliant on the outside world at all, completely self-sufficient, where everyone lives a simple life, a pure life, a happy life. That was the vision. But what actually happened is that anyone who was a threat to their power or questioned them or didn't agree with them or it had any links to anyone who didn't agree with them or the old government was executed, killed, not with a gun. They didn't want to waste the bullet. So they'd line them up in front of a pit and hit them on the back of the head with like a metal spike. The leaders of the Khmer Rouge became just extremely paranoid and just started killing everyone, basically, their own people. And these statistics are... Well, so they killed 1.7 million people. Again, so that's 1.7 million were executed by the Khmer Rouge. Uh, men, women, and children. Actually, I just did some more research, and they say 1.5 to 3 million, uh, approximately 2 million. Oh, and my mistake, it's uh, the 1970s, and the executions happened over about four years. So anyway, that was about a quarter of the whole population of Cambodia. Imagine that, 25% of everyone in the country. So of course that's absolutely insane. And not for a minute did the leader of the Khmer Rouge, Pol Pot, 
think to himself, hmm, I think my politics isn't working, that the results of my government have led to the death of 25% of the whole country. He escaped to the countryside in the end and said before he died, my conscience is clear. He genuinely thought he did what was best for the Cambodian people. He says he, th he thought he did what needed to happen and was never sorry, uh, which is, in his opinion, make Cambodia not dependent on foreign forces and also uh, kind of free of Vietnamese influence. That was one of his things. Interestingly enough, it's the Vietnamese military after the, when the Vietnam War or American War, yeah, very lots of famous movies about it. The Vietnamese military invaded Cambodia to end the Khmer Rouge after they kicked out the French and they kicked out the Americans in the American War, Vietnamese War. They then invaded Cambodia and got rid of the Khmer Rouge. And uh, yeah, they were demonized for that, as in uh, Vietnam didn't have normal diplomatic relations with the West for a very long time, even though they saved, you know, the world from the Khmer Rouge. So the problem now in Cambodia is a problem of uh, reconciliation. Reconciliation means the bring, bringing together of a different people to kind of to work through and understand and forgive the past. Reconciliation. Uh, nowadays you have the killers and the families of the killed all living side by side, sometimes in the same villages. So emotionally it must be, I don't know, I can't imagine it. Anyways, the Khmer Rouge were worse than North Korea now. Basically the worst government and tragedy that's ever happened to a population. Just a killing spree you know, of, from paranoia and madness, basically. Uh, so the main people that were targeted were intellectuals. Intellectuals includes doctors, teachers, journalists, all of these. Uh, these people, educated people, highly educated people. These people were the top targets. Uh, they were killed. I read a story from a doctor who survived. He says he was watching a childbirth uh, go wrong. He was in the room pretending to be a farmer and he could see the childbirth go wrong, but he couldn't, he could not help. Because if he were to help, then the Khmer Rouge soldiers would know he was a doctor and then kill him. So he had to stay silent while the baby died, while untrained Khmer Rouge soldiers were trying to help the childbirth. Imagine that, getting rid of the doctors. I mean, I can't, what an insanely stupid thing to do. So he had to stay silent uh, during the childbirth and the baby died. And it's in his story, an amazing book, a gripping book, one of the best books I've ever read about a survivor uh, in the death camps. It's called Survival in the Killing Fields by Haing S. Ngor. So it's Survival in the Killing Fields by Haing S. Ngor. The last name is N-G-O-R. So look out for it. It's uh, one of the best books I've ever read. And it's translated into many, many different languages. It's a famous book. Became a movie in the 1980s. But I think, read the book, it's better. 
And something I thought about is this, like so much of a person's intelligence is in their genes, in their DNA, right? I heard that you can improve your IQ by like 15 to 20 points, yeah? By your lifestyle, uh, how you challenge your mind and body and the nutrients you have. But the rest is in your genes, okay? It's hardwired into your DNA. So what the Khmer Rouge, the uh, political party that killed all those people, what the Khmer Rouge did is they lowered the IQ, they lowered the intelligence of the whole country's gene pool for hundreds, maybe thousands of years just for one political government experiment, basically. One short-term experiment. They've uh, lowered the intelligence of a whole country for possibly thousands of years. Crazy. It's unbelievably short-sighted. Uh, so yeah, so my point is, is that Cambodia also has a kind of dark side historically. And uh, I was truly, I am, I have a very strong emotional attachment to Cambodia and had a very special time there, to be honest. Uh, it was a much more vast and mind-opening and mind-blowing experience than I ever thought. I just thought it would be similar to Vietnam, you know, similar to Thailand. But it really is like its own little, its own rich, you know, culture of great depth. So yeah, so I would definitely move back to Kampot. Uh, but at least regularly visit there. It's a new go-to place for me. Maybe if I get some holiday from my new, from my job. So uh, I'd go back there. I'm in Hanoi again. Yeah. So I'm back in Hanoi at my old job. Yeah. You guys might remember I used to live in Vietnam. So next news. I'm going to take a break. A break from this podcast for a little while. To be honest, since moving back to Hanoi... So, yeah, by the way, I'm back in Hanoi now at my old job with my old students and old colleagues. It's really nice, but it's really busy. I'm trying to learn some new skills right now, have time for my music, my rock and roll band. I want to focus, to be honest, I don't want to be a teacher in a classroom forever. Yeah, it's been my job for over 10 years. And when I do the same games, my students to teach the grammar, etc. I just feel like I want to try something new for a little while. To learn new skills, I need time, right? And to focus on my music, I need time. And these days, I have zero time, no free time. This podcast takes four days of free time per month. So that's one day per week. Right now, I really need that extra day per week to focus on some other projects for a little while and, yeah, as I said, learn some new skills. But I will be back, okay? In a few months, once I've made more progress and succeed a bit more at my other projects, you can't spread yourself too thinly, as they say, right? I'm doing too much right now and I can't focus on one thing well enough to do it successfully. So please stay subscribed, okay? You can still listen to past episodes 
please tell your friends. Please feel free to rate the podcast on Spotify. Yep, so stay subscribed, and I'll see you in a few months, I guess. Maybe around January or February, something like that. Until then, look after yourselves, you beautiful creatures, you lovely audience that have shown nothing but support. Heartwarming, heartwarming support for all these years so far. So all the best, guys. Uh, Peace and love and take care.